0: Put your hand on a hot stove for a minute, and it seems like an hour. Sit with a pretty girl for an hour, and it seems like a minute. Folks, welcome back to... Food for Thought Podcast. As always, this is your host, Jonathan Coots, and as always, I am thrilled to bring to you another episode of the show. Before we get into today's episode, though, uh, there is somebody that I'd like to make a mention of. You guys know that uh, I have the sponsor of the Food for Thought Podcast, uh, or for the Food for Thought Podcast, called The Philosophical Bean. That is my own company, of course. I started it Uh, in my backyard, or I should say in my parents' backyard, Um, but I roast my own coffee and sell it. That is not today's sponsor, although maybe we'll talk about it a little bit, I already did, but today's sponsor is someone that I am thrilled to have been able to partner with, and that is the online lecture educational hosting uh, platform called Wondrium. Uh, This is a real company uh, this is the first real sponsor of my show, besides my own coffee company. But OneDream is a phenomenal platform that I've been using uh, for easily two years. I've had a subscription to their services. Um, I was a member when it was called The Great Courses Plus, um, which is still a part of it, but they paired with a bunch of other uh, companies that were similar in their mission, such as some uh, documentary companies like Magellan, um, many, many wonderful classes you can take there. These are classes taught by real professors, world-leading professors, some of them from Caltech, from MIT, from from the greatest universities you can think of, teaching real college-level classes, um, and I was taking one on today's topic. Uh, so much of this information, uh, in fact, most of the information that I'm presenting to you today comes from... Things that I learned taking the Wondrium class on time and on physics and relativity and that sort of thing. So, without further ado, uh, let's get into the show. But guys, when you're done listening, go use the link in the description of this episode to sign up for a free trial uh, for Wondrium. So go ahead, check Wondrium out. They are a great service. I can highly recommend them because I've been using it for a long time. Now. We all know that uh, time exists, we're all aware of it, but many of us aren't really interested or curious or know about uh, the peculiarity of time and how time works and how uh, it envelops cultures. I mean, we all know that it envelops all cultures, clocks and everything that are everywhere. Uh, So everybody is aware of the existence of time. There's something interesting about time and the way that we measure it. Uh, it's a repeatable cycle. It's 12 o'clock uh, comes twice a day, and then twice again tomorrow, and twice again after that. Yet time in and of itself isn't something that really passes. It's uh, it's more of an experience. Experience. We only experience a moment once, uh, once a day. We, uh, I will be done with this podcast, and uh, the podcasting experience will then be over. I don't get to go back and do it again uh, at the same time. Um, I can record another one, but it will not be the same uh, because time has passed and there's a new moment. So we travel through time, and the moments that we encounter, they don't happen again. You can remember something, but you can never get that time back. Obviously, we know this. This is something uh, that's a a basic tenant of reality. We all know um, the relative passage of time as well. Uh, We've all sat through a boring 55-minute, 45-minute lecture, unlike Wundrium's lectures that are very exciting, We've all sat in through the very monotone speech about many different things. And we know that that 45 minutes can sometimes feel as though it is three hours or 45 hours if the person is particularly monotone. And then we also know the experience of sitting next to a very beautiful woman and having that time go just like that. Similar observations was made by Albert Einstein, which is, of course, uh, what I read to you at the introduction of this episode, a very, very famous quote by Albert Einstein. As we talk about time today, I have a favor to ask of you. I would ask that you kind of suspend a little bit of disbelief here, because we're going to talk about something that's relatively abstract, because everybody knows that time passes, everybody knows that uh, time can be relative, but we're going to get into some philosophical and theoretical and and relatively abstract ideas, so I would ask uh, that you put on your interested in this cap uh, as you listen to today's episode, Um, because a lot of this is... Maybe high-minded. Maybe I probably don't even comprehend as much of it as I would like to have. Uh, It's something that I've been very interested in for a very long time, Um, and it it delves into the relativity theories that we've talked about before, but as you're listening, I would just ask um, that you suspend your disbelief with me for a little bit. It's not that this stuff is is hokey-pokey or even incorrect, but it is... um, one, one could say it's unpractical for the average person to think about this kind of stuff. But at the end, um, I might make a little bit of a case for why this stuff is kind of cool and neat and important. So, why do we experience time differently? How do those interactions play out in the real world? Do they play out in the real world at all? Why does time flow in just one direction? Not all of these questions are, strictly speaking, practical, yet I have found them to be interesting. The passage of time is a peculiar thing because it doesn't have a rate of speed. When we're thinking of time, we think of the arrow of time, which we can see uh, from just the way that we age as human beings. Baby, adolescent, teenager, young adult, then a child, the same thing as a young adult, um, and then from child to adolescent, to young adult, which I was saying is pretty much the same thing as still a child. It's pretty much all child. You go to, like, child. At least I have learned that you go from child to just adult. Anyways, and then adult, then you age, and then you die. And so, but it doesn't have a rate of speed. Even though sometimes things can feel like they're going faster, we always travel at one second per second or one eon per eon. And those are massively different scales of time, but they are not different rates of time. Time always travels the same. So we can have this dilation effect of time uh, sitting through a boring lecture, but 55 minutes will have passed even if it feels as though it was much, much more than 50 minutes. Time has no velocity, though it does have a direction. So we know the difference between speed is you're just traveling, but you have no direction. Velocity is traveling in a direction. So time, strictly speaking, does not have a velocity, only a direction. Time simply just is. It obviously travels from the past to the future, which is interesting because time, as far as we know, is not traversable not like spaces, um, which, interestingly enough, space has no direction. Um, it is traversable completely. Um, we have these rough concepts of north, south, east, west, but up is different if you're in the top hemisphere versus the bottom hemisphere. So obviously that's up, but what's going to be up appears to be differently because if you have this globe up, if I'm standing on the top of the globe and someone is on the bottom of the globe then up is actually completely opposite directions because we live on a globe, not a flat plane, despite what flat earthers might think. So space kind of has this general direction, but only because of gravity that we have on Earth does it actually really have a north-south-east-west. In space, (coughs) excuse me, in space, that's different. Um, There isn't this... uh, Cardinal direction; it doesn't flow in a single direction as time does, and to some extent, um, we have the uh, the concept of space time. We have, which is one of Einstein's theories, that's something that he kind of posited for us. He put forward this concept that space and time are actually interwoven, which is interesting as it kind of they kind of complete each other in some ways. Um, this is the concept that. Einstein had. Bear with me. Um, We can travel with a place repeatedly often. We can travel to a location um, very, very often. We can go and frequent McDonald's, even though we probably shouldn't. We can go to that spot in space whenever we want. We can go back there infinitely, but yet we cannot go back and do that same thing in the exact same moment of time. Time has passed. This is a different experience. We all know this to be true, because time flows from the past to the present to the future. So we can travel through space, but we cannot travel through time. We must experience time as it goes. Yet Einstein taught us that time is related to space, but space doesn't have any fundamental directionality. It has a sort of non-fundamental directionality. If you drop something in a room, it will always go down as opposed to up. But the difference between up and down in a room doesn't reflect any deep feature of reality. If you were in Australia instead of the United States, the downward direction would be something different. The arrow of space depends on where you are. That was a beautifully way a beautiful way of putting what I was just kind of saying, and that is from Wondrium. That is a a direct quote from one of the lectures. So I do not get credit for saying it that eloquently. Obviously, I was rambling. I got my idea across a little bit, but that's what you get when you have a PhD in this sort of stuff. So we interact with space in a way that is defined by our existence on Earth. Our interaction with space versus... um. uh, Our interaction with space on the moon would be different because of gravity and the way it's magnetic poles would be different uh, or such things as that. Yet time and the way time flows is extremely ingrained in the system of our universe. Uh, It is a completely objective thing. Time always exists as it does right now. We always uh, move through time at a rate of one second per second. Time exists in the same way on Earth as it would on the Moon or on Jupiter. Interestingly enough, time does have a physical uh, impact on our planet, on our world, on our universe. Uh, To the very fiber of everything, there is a concept known as entropy. And we know what entropy is because we've talked about it before. Uh, So I will not belabor the topic. But for those that didn't get to listen to that episode, entropy is as follows. Entropy is uh, essentially the measure of disorderliness of anything and everything. The universe to a bedroom to even an apple or an egg. And entropy is, in fact, the cardinal way that we know how time flows. Um, For example... Uh, this, uh, the professor used that in the example in Wondrium. Uh, if you see an egg cracked, we know, as a matter of course, that the egg did not come into existence that way. It tended towards that disorderliness. So if we see a broken egg, we can assume and we can travel in our minds back through time to a place in which um, the egg was whole. It fell out of someone's carton or something like that. So, And because of the order of time, or the direction of time, and our knowledge about entropy, we know we can recreate a more accurate past for that egg than we can for the future of that egg, because who knows what can happen. If it gets incredibly warm outside and very hot, maybe the pavement will fry the egg. Maybe a bird will come and cannibalize the egg. Maybe... Um, a dog will come and look it up. Maybe someone will actually be a good citizen and pick up the egg and throw it away. But the possibilities of the future of that egg is infinitely greater. Its level of disruption in the future is infinitely greater than uh, the past. We know an exact past for it. It had to have come. We don't know exactly how the egg got there, but because of the arrow of time and because of the second law of thermodynamics, we know that at one point that egg was whole. And just to kind of make this point even greater, the fact that this is called the second law of thermodynamics is just crucial because very few things actually um, become law, scientific law. This is the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, People, professors... Uh, educators, intellectuals, quote-unquote, speak of evolution as a—they as they speak of it as a law, but it is not. They say there's enough proof that it should be, but even evolution is not so ingrained into reality as is the second law of thermodynamics. In fact, this professor who was teaching this class was so bold as to say, if I were to bet— on a function of reality that we know and can grasp now that will be the same in a million years' time, it would be the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics, entropy, is, in fact, the greatest way that we know how time passes, the greatest way in which we can affirm the existence of the passage of time, because we know that things at the beginning of time were more orderly and always tend towards chaos and towards disorder. So, which... Just a little side note there. I I always find it interesting that people can make the case for evolution, since I was talking about it, when we know so thoroughly that the second law of thermodynamics is uh, in existence, um, because I don't see how we can, how, when we know that energy is leaving. So uh, I have a cup of coffee here by the Philosophical Bean, and I'm just going to pour myself some more so you guys can hear that beautiful sound of coffee pouring into a mug or maybe not, there we go, a little bit, this cup of coffee will get more cold. Its energy will disperse. As time passes, as time flows, um, the energy will leave this cup of coffee. Now, I have here sitting next to me, for those not watching the video, a coffee warming device to keep it at a, a better, more consumable temperature. But that is, I am exerting extra energy on it to do that. If time would have its way, if time would pass as it should, then the energy from this cup will leak away and it will get more cold. If I get a cold cup of coffee, never will time flow in the reverse and bring energy back to it. And and the little side that I was going to make talking about evolution is, how can we say, unless there is some other force of creation that is adding energy to a system, how could an amoeba... Gain energy into the conversion of a larger multicellular creature. I just don't understand how that would work. Time doesn't work that way. Time doesn't flow in the direction to add energy to something. Anyways, with that said, let's move on to uh, a slightly more philosophical um, concept of time. What exactly is time? Um... Our universe is not simply just space. It is also time. What happens in Chicago doesn't necessarily happen in New York, unless you're talking about crime, in which case it does. But just as what happens on Earth isn't happening on Mars. Moreover, space has no uh, sequentiality to it. There is no line of succession. Um... So you don't number, this is plot number one of space, plot number two of space, plot number three of space. It doesn't work like that. There's no sequention or uh, succession of space. Time is different. We talked about this extensively already. The arrow of time flows in one direction, like a river. Um, It just, you don't, uh, you just flow one way. One of the interesting questions about time is the existence of other points of time. I know that China exists. I've never been there. I have uh, never seen it with my own eyes. I've never like, flown over it and seen, oh, there's China. And I'm not there now. Yet I know that China exists because it inhabits space. Yet curiously, our brains don't think of that the same way when it comes to time. We have a different relationship with time uh, and our memories. We don't know that the future exists. Um, It it might exist, but there's no way that even my brain could comprehend what happens in the future. I have ideas about what I would like for the future to be, and interestingly enough, those typically in our minds take the form of a future anticipated memory, and then the past happened. We kind of know that it happened, but it doesn't have the same realistic effect that it does in the present, uh, our brains can apprehend apprehended. Even the start of this podcast, when I clicked the record button, has now happened 20 minutes in the past, and even those moments are less visceral than they are now. And that's partly because of the way we store our memories. But we don't really think of yesterday as as real as today. We don't think of uh, two days ago as real as today, or even as real as yesterday let alone 10 years, let alone 25 years, let alone 200 years. And in many aspects, in many ways, realistically, that doesn't exist because of the way that we store memories and how we've talked about memories on the podcast before and how inaccurate our memories are. So in some real way, the past doesn't even exist like we would recall it to. Time is different from space, even though in some ambiguous ways they are, in fact, actually interconnected. Yet, on the plane of time, we have only one direction through which to travel, and more or less, the only real part of time is the present moment. This is called presentism, and it is a very philosophical notion. There's a different way of thinking about it called uh, eternalism, and that is more physics as in uh, the, the branch of mathematics or science, physics. The concept of clocks is uh, measuring time is not a relative thing. Clocks are not measuring an abstract idea that we just came up with despite what some people would think, um, time is not actually something that we just came up with. Uh, there are certain aspects of time such as a week or the the words that we use to describe time are made up uh, a week, a month, so on and so forth. But there's an actual repercussion in the real world. The Sun does in fact spin around, Um, or the Earth does, in fact, spin around the Sun in approximately 364.2422 days. And we came up with a year. And then there is a lunar month, and then uh, there is a 24-hour rotation, and a lot of human history, and especially um, things around the creation of dates and times and calendars, has been a battle with the fact that those are not even numbers. Uh, It's not quite 24 hours. It's like 24.135, something like that. But, and so then that's where we get the concept of leap days, leap years, leap months, all that sort of stuff as a reconciliation for that fact. But time has a real actual repercussion in the physical world in the form of entropy. If it weren't time, if it weren't, um, if it weren't a real, Concrete thing, time would flow in irregular ways and clocks would be pointless. There's an actual physical mechanism in the universe that passes time. This theory of entropy is what gives us that uh, real part of time. At one point, entropy was lower, and um, in the past, it was lower, and in the future, it will be greater. We know that uh, entropy will. Increase in that direction. If time weren't a um, a real set in stone thing, then from my viewpoint, if I'm looking back, or if anybody, we could use calculations in physics because that's how set in stone this kind of science is. I could look into the future, and I would see that entropy would be greater. But I'd also be able to look at the past and see that entropy would be greater in the past, as it. If time didn't flow in its direction that it does, time would flow out of kind of my existence or any person's individual existence. But time doesn't work like that, and entropy doesn't work like that. I don't look into the past and see a greater disorderliness. If time weren't in its actual concrete form, then perhaps my coffee cup could get hotter um, instead of having to use this coffee-warming device, because everybody knows that the philosophical bean coffee tastes the best hot. So go get yourself some. So, time does have this peculiar habit of flowing in a similar direction, in the same direction, um, and we know that to be the case because of the nature of entropy. So... But just how set in stone is time, really, in my experience of it? And what would happen, per se, if time stopped? Well, this is a very disappointing notion. If time were to actually stop, we would never really know. Um, because everything about us would also halt. Um, my heart would no longer beat. It would just be frozen in time. Uh my brain would stop functioning because it would be frozen in time. Every aspect of everything in the world would stop. So that's kind of boring. We wouldn't have even known because nothing would be able to travel because of Einstein's theory of space-time as we uh, travel through space, we must also travel through time. And if I cannot travel through time, then I cannot travel through space. Neither could the neurons in my brain firing to even grasp the concept that time has stopped. It wouldn't work. Because space and time are interconnected and interwoven. So it wouldn't be very interesting. Now, what if I stopped time three feet, five feet away from me? So. If I had some sort of super magical power that I could stop time everywhere, but right where I am in this little bubble. Well, unfortunately, it would also be very boring and you would most likely be dead very quickly because if I'm walking in a direction, uh, then time would flow around me. But if I stayed stationary, if me sitting at this podcast booth right now stops time everywhere within three feet around me, very quickly, I would use up all of the air around me. But interestingly enough, everything around me would be completely black because light would not be able to travel into my eyes anymore. There would be a wall preventing light from getting into my eye sockets and my brain being able to then transfer that light into vision. Air, oxygen would be like a wall if I tried to reach out, boom, past the three-foot mark, and I tried to touch something, I would hit a virtual brick wall of oxygen particles because they have now stopped moving and stopped shifting in such a way that I could breathe it in. So it would also be very boring and uh, very unfun. So that's what would happen if time were to stop because of this interconnection of time and space. I'm going to read some just quotes from Wondrium now. Uh, this was going to be a shorter episode, as always, and I'm coming right up to about 30 minutes. We're going to talk about the relativity theories, and then, uh, of course, something that has always been extremely interesting, time travel. How feasible is it, really? Um, so we're gonna, we're just going to read some passages. I'm going to talk about relativity really quickly, and then I'm going to read some passages from Wondrium to end this episode off today. Time and space are interconnected. I've said that a couple times now, don't need to beat a dead horse. When we think of time and we think of the interaction between time and space, there's a couple of great allegories that always comes up. One of them is uh, the use of atomic watches um, as a, a device that we could m- precisely measure time. Time, though time is a universal and it flows in one direction, people can experience time differently and actually do experience time differently because of the way that they inhabit space there's of course the famous example um the faster we travel the closer to the speed of light we get uh the slower time uh affects us so if we had the twins and the twins one of them went to space traveling at near the speed of light came back the other one would be much older if uh But even in a different way, in a different aspect, um, if I was, say, born and I had a twin and we were born at the exact same time. I know that's unfeasible, unrealistic. It can't be done. Uh, The birth canal isn't that large to spit two babies at the exact same time. But say a watch was delayed or something like that. But regardless, me and my twin were born at the exact same time. And we had atomic watches on our wrists and we never took them off. At the end of our lives... Or even within 50 years, within 100 years if we lived that long, our watches would read differently. Because of the way we inhabited space and interacted with space, I don't even need to go at near light speed for our watches to be different. If my brother never traveled at 75 miles per hour, he would... Uh, not dilate time by that, I mean, infinitesimal fraction of a second. That's what we're talking about different. It's not going to be like a day different. I don't get an extra day if I travel 75 miles per hour. It would be mere fractions of fractions of seconds. There's also the uh, interaction of gravity with time as well. Gravity is one of the dilators of time because, in fact, my head is slightly, slightly younger than my feet are because gravity gets greater the closer to bottom of Earth that we get, as close to the ground as we get. So, I mean, but like, milli, milli, milliseconds, like fractions of milliseconds younger. But time um, travels differently for different people. Similarly, um, if we have a mile that I'm hiking, I'm going backpacking, anybody who's gone backpacking knows that hiking a mile is not nearly the same as walking a flat mile, because I'm going up and down mountains and valleys and all that sort of thing. So that is what time can be like, even though it flows in these seconds and to minutes to hours to so on and so forth, and it flows in this direction, we have a way of squiggly lining our way down that line sometimes because of the speed at which we travel um, and because of the curvature of space-time, because of gravity. Um, when we're looking at gravity, um, gravity is not... In Einstein's theories, gravity is not uh, simply just this force that pulls from the center of the Earth. It is a distortion of space-time. So we have a th- uh, this two-dimensional blanket, and uh, gravity is, in, our, in the estimations of these Einstein's relativity theories, we have this sheet, and we have a bowling ball, and then that is distorting space-time. Right? And then we can think of gravity as Earth's best efforts to continue to travel in a straight line, though we are being sucked into this kind of warping of space-time. And we know that because of that distortion of space-time as we travel through space, we're also traveling through time because they're interconnected. The greater the force of gravity, um, the greater that distortion of the blanket the slower time goes. Um, when we're looking at wormholes and black holes, um, there's uh, that's some crazy concepts that, that I don't comprehend and don't feel extremely comfortable spouting out. But to the best of my knowledge, the best of how I understand it, um, time essentially completely stops because a black hole is this infinite condensing of everything, of reality itself, kind of, of space-time. So when we... Uh, encroach upon what's called the event horizon, at some point we would just not even remember crossing that threshold because of the warping of light we wouldn't be able to see and the warping of space-time in and of itself. The traversing of space is the traversing through time, um, and that would just completely collapse in upon itself to infinite density. And we would essentially be traveling down that forever because it would just infinitely go greater and greater and greater, and the force of gravity would just continue to pull us down infinitely to a speed at which our bodies can't even actually travel, which is called spaghettification, I guess. I just learned that today, which is interesting, uh, which is why we kind of see that in those really loopy shows they just got... Like they just infinitely grow longer. Uh, and so we, but time at that point essentially ceases to exist because of the collapsing of this four dimensional plane called space time. So that's the relation and the correlation between space and time. It is very coordinated together in aspects that even the condensing of gravity, if you've seen the movie Interstellar, Um, that does a great job showing this massive planet that distorts gravity and therefore distorts space-time, distorting the way in which we as humans would experience time. What was just minutes on one planet was years outside of its gravitational pull. That is uh, the concept of relativity. And if one person never experiences that force of gravity, then they don't experience time in the same way. This professor says, It's that distortion of light cones in the solar system caused by the gravitational field of the sun that makes the Earth orbit rather than moving in a straight line. One way to think about general relativity is to think that the particles, including the Earth, are doing their best to move in straight lines. But because space-time itself is curved, there are no straight lines, which is why uh, the fastest way to get somewhere is actually not a straight line, it's a curved line. That is what gives rise to what we call gravity. This is why the moon goes around the earth and the earth goes around the sun. They're doing their best to move in a straight line, but space-time itself is curved. And the greater that curvature, the greater the dilation of space-time. Another great example um, is uh, a large hedron collider or particle accelerator or whatever you call it. Um, When they are pushing these things at near light speeds, the particles actually condense down smaller. They actually turn into like a pancake inhabiting therefore less space. They actually dilate and experience time in a different manner because they're accelerating so fastly Then they slam in together creating new atoms and so on and so forth. But time will dilate for them as they um, get closer to the speed of light which is why E uh, equals MC squared. Um, The the closer we get to light the more mass we take on and that is essentially the universal... um, speed limit is the speed of light and now we're getting into things that we don't even talk about about time so i'll stop there and let's uh finish the episode with talking about time travel what is truly bothering us here is the era of time which is absolutely built into how we think about the past and by the way i'm reading now um From Wondrium, once again, very great resource, can't recommend it highly enough. I just had these couple paragraphs that I thought were really good and did a great job encapsulating it, so I wanted to just read it to you right from there. Um, It's absolutely built into how we think about the past, the present, and the future. As we said, we believe that we can make choices that affect the future, but not choices that affect the past. The past is tied down in our epistemic knowledge because of the past hypotheses. If you have a memory of something happening and your memory is valid, then that is what happened and you can't change it. If you put the possibility of time travel into the situation, then your personal future becomes mixed up with the past of the universe. You personally are always age into your future light cone. And there's this concept of light cones, um, which, as I understand it, is roughly equivalent to, say, the headlights on your car. Okay? If you are traveling in this direction, you're traveling through space-time, you're traveling through the arrow of time, and you're in your car and you turn your headlights on, well, your car cannot actually get outside of those light cones that it creates. You know, the headlights are shining on the pavement. No matter what you do, unless you were able to travel faster than the speed of light, you would not be able to escape that cone. And essentially, that is how the future works for us. There is only so much that we can do to change the future because uh, the way that light works and the way that uh, that Einstein theorized we interact with light, um, we cannot escape what is essentially this... um, A light cone is what this professor calls it. And you can essentially think of it as your future is like the headlights of your car. Your car cannot escape that. If you put the possibility of time travel into the situation, then your personal future becomes mixed up with the past of the universe. You personally always age into your future light cone. But if you go off in a spaceship, zoom around a closed time-like curve, and come back to the past because of the dilation of space-time and the way that uh, space-time is not flat. It is actually warped and bent because of gravitational weights of different planets, black holes. Um, This is kind of precluding wormholes. We're not talking about wormholes here. We're simply talking about the ability of traveling through a warped space-time. You could, theoretically, you could travel back, be, uh, because of the interactions of space-time and the curving of it, you get to the past, gets mixed up with something you thought was alterable, your personal future. It's likely that time travel isn't possible, but the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics offers a tiny loophole. I'll talk about that here in a second. Um... But what he's saying is time travel isn't necessarily possible in an aspect of making a time machine and going back into the past. Because of the way that time works and the way that our brains even comprehend it, traveling back in time would kind of collapse our reality around ourselves. Because you age forwards. Now this is what we're talking about with those, um, the light cones only go in one direction. So on your car, your light cones don't bend backwards and go into the back. If you put in reverse, the light is still traveling in this way. Okay, so light always travels in this direction that it's being sent as this time. And the way that we uh, inhabit space means we inhabit time in the same way because time and space are related. So we inhabit space and we age through space the same way that we age through time. Therefore, time travel can't really be possible because if I were to go back and you say there's the famous killing my grandfather because we're sadists and for some reason want to go back and kill our grandfathers or think about going back to killing our grandfathers, well, that's a paradox. But many physicists believe that there would be some functionality of reality itself that would prevent you from killing your grandfather um, because of just the existence of that kind of paradox, but this author says, well, even just trying to travel back would be prohibited by the laws of nature because of the way we travel through time. It's just not possible. Now, the loophole in time travel is if the many worlds theories exist, a multiverse, then essentially you could travel back into space. You could travel to a world at a different time in that world where... um. Everything is different, or everything is the exact same, but, but for one minuscule difference, such as maybe one person grayed his hair a little bit early. That's the only difference in the world. Um, there's a great book that explores that idea uh, called Timeline by the author Michael Crichton. That is one of my favorites. I highly recommend you go uh, read it. It's very good. And it's just it's about just that. Anyways, so... Like I said, this was kind of an abstract idea. It was it, For me, it's interesting to think about those kind of things because I find it interesting. So I hope you guys found it interesting as well. Now, there's a, a comforting notion about this um, and why I want to talk about this is because um, it was interesting to me primarily. But bringing it back to what I said, why it kind of is interesting to think about is because the Bible exonerates us often to... Um, live in the present, because the present is, in fact, the only part of our lives that is actually real, and uh, screw tape, in the Screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis talks about this, about trying to get people to live in the past, or trying to get people to live in the future, because they don't exist yet, or they already existed and are therefore unchangeable. He even says, uh, spend more time trying to get your patient to talk about the future because the past is eschewed in reality. It still happened. And reality is unavoidably pointing towards God. Even the laws of nature uh, detest the notion that God did not create them. Evolution itself, as I mentioned before, um, is unfeasible in my mind because of this second law of thermodynamics. The Big Bang itself I'll be talking about uh, in an upcoming announcement that I'll probably make sometime, maybe the next episode, maybe I'll make it throughout the week, but there's another project that I've been working on that I'll be announcing, and one of the topics that will be discussed at that point will be the Big Bang and some new photos that have come out. Regardless, the very laws of nature and reality... Um, tell us to be concerned only with the present, because that is where we interact with God uh, in our minds. I believe when we have uh, this spiritual experience, when we're communing with God, we exist out of time. We're pulled out of time. God is not pulled down to the present. But we are pulled into His reality, which is outside of time. Because the only way that time can, in fact, exist as it does is if it was created to do so. Even if you're a lot of um, scientists, even this scientist, uh, this uh, came out years and years ago, probably early to mid-2000s. Um, otherwise, I'm sure he probably would have used Interstellar in some examples. But um, this came out. These photos only came out in early August. This video was made... This video series was made years and years ago, but these scientists believe that time was created after the Big Bang, okay? But we already discussed what would happen if time stopped. Nothing could move because of the correlation between time and uh, space. So particles could not have moved to explode to create the Big Bang until time already existed. But if the Big Bang is what created and started the world's clock, that couldn't have even happened, despite the fact that how did they get set into motion, how do they exist if nothing existed, if it was the Big Bang, none of that could even happen based purely on the physical mechanics of not being able to move without time existing. So there's that. So even if we wanted to believe in the Big Bang, something would have had to start time before that something that exists outside of time, something that I like to call Yahweh. And Yahweh wants us to live in the present, because the present is when we have the presence of mind to communicate with Him, because we're focused on what is now and what is, in fact, actually real. That's why I wanted to talk about time, uh, because it's an extremely interesting notion with lots of theoretical ideas that are very abstract, and to me, that's appealing. But at the same time, I exonerate all of you to live in the present so that we can communicate with this wonderful being called God that desires greatness for us and desires to communicate with us. And he has set up nature. In fact, he has set up reality to echo what he tells us in his words to live in the future or not to live in the future, to live in the present and to only be concerned with what is in front of us, a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path so that we can take but one step at a time because he is leading us and guiding us. And we need to be concerned only with what is in front of us to do. So folks, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode. I hope uh, you got some value from this. I hope even if it was an abstract idea and I feel like I might have repeated myself a little bit, um, I hope you still found something interesting in here, something that kind of made you think a little bit. If you did, go ahead and share this episode. Remember, if you share the episode on any social media platform and you tag me on it, you will be entered to win a free bag of coffee. So go and do that if you found something interesting here. In the meantime, go learn something new. Go learn something real. And I'll be back next week with some more Food for Thought.